If patience Pastor is a virtue, will deliver this I would say we sermon. are not a virtuous people. Here we are just a few days after Thanksgiving, and it seems that Thanksgiving has already been forgotten. Truth of the matter is, Thanksgiving is just a momentary blip between Halloween and Christmas. Commercialism, consumerism hitting full momentum, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, and the big push to Christmas. But might I say as a side note that I am grateful. It seems that the leadership of some of our largest retailers learned something during COVID, that spending time together is important. Hy-Vee stores closed at 4 p.m. on Thursday so that employees could spend time with family and friends, the first time that that has happened in decades. And what has been a regular pattern of stores opening on Thanksgiving Day, many took pause to consider that that day was important and stayed closed. So I want to thank any business manager or owner who made that decision, and I hope that God blesses and honors that decision. Now where was I? Oh yes, impatience. At no time in human history have we had the ability for instant gratification as we possess today. Want to read a book? Don't even have to leave the comfort of your sofa. You can download an entire book in 60 seconds or less. Want to buy a house? Apply online. You'll be approved within 60 minutes. Order from Amazon and have it tomorrow or after the big warehouse opens, maybe even the same day. You can pre-shop and order items, stopping by in as little as 30 minutes to receive them curbside. Ordering food in has never been easier. You can order food from virtually any local restaurant and have it delivered to your doorstep. Heck, did you know that you can order the best Chicago-style pizza in the country from Giordano's Pizza in downtown Chicago and have it at your doorstep, oven ready, in 24 hours? Immense amounts of information are available at our fingertips. Want to know something? Google's ready. Some of you might remember something called an encyclopedia. We had to kind of know how to spell what we were looking for, then look it up, and God forbid we had to read it for ourselves. And here's the kicker. We actually don't even have to type it anymore. Hey Siri, who do the Minnesota Vikings play today? The Vikings battle the 49ers at 3.25 p.m. Can we be any lazier? <laughs> no, I would, I would say, in fact, we are a fairly impatient lot. Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. As I said, Happy New Year. It is a new year. Yes, this weekend we turn the church calendar and we recognize this first week of Advent. The pyramids have changed, but of course they've changed a lot since Reformation. Red to white, back to red, then to green, then to white, but now the blue. And aren't they exquisite? Advent is known for us as the season of expectant waiting. But Advent starts in a very peculiar fashion. Even though we start the new year, our lectionary, that is the text that we use to preach on, start at the end. Our text for today occurs just days before Jesus' crucifixion. And like what I preached to you just a few weeks ago, 
Well, actually, Luke 21 is a reiteration of Mark 13, so it is the same text. We hear Jesus talking about the end times again. Not a comforting subject for us. But it is important when we consider what is to come. What is God's plan for us and all of creation? And just as I said, in the church, we are called to this expectant waiting. And we're often told placations like, good, thing come, good things come to those who wait. But in our text today that Jesus tells us what this waiting will look like, I don't know about you, but I don't get warm and fuzzy feelings about it. Jesus lays out what will happen in the days ahead after his crucifixion, and he tells the disciples what it will look like when heaven and earth pass away. And as, and as if to drive the point home, he even says, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the earth. Now, because Jesus tells us this, it's a promise, not a threat. Now, as I was thinking about this narrative, I was thinking, you know, Jesus really is not telling us to instill fear. He's trying to heighten our awareness, to turn us toward himself, to put our trust in God's plan, in God's will which in reality can be frightening in and of itself. But Jesus is really only speaking the same message that has been told to humankind ever since Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. God himself set his redemption plan in motion. We hear this in Genesis chapter 3 in the curse of the serpent, which begins the redemption promise that we read all throughout the Old Testament. He raises up prophets to speak this promise, to teach people what he's doing. Today we heard from the prophet Jeremiah this same promise which was spoke to God's people before the Babylonian exile nearly 650 years before Christ even existed. God's chosen people had waited several millennia for his promise to be fulfilled. But for now, we wait. And waiting is difficult, especially when we are conditioned to being pushed and pushed and pushed by an impatient world. As little boys and girls, we rush to grow up, wanting to shave or wear makeup, to date and to drive, and to be done learning and start earning. In the prime of our lives, we rush to accumulate the things of this world, titles, money, possessions, power, so that we can accelerate the time in which we no longer use our vocation to serve God and our neighbor, but instead are served by others. When we're ill or injured, we want a shot or a pill to give an instant cure. Or we want a quick and painless surgery without long recovery and without that hard work of physical therapy. We want to get rich quick, lose 30 pounds in 30 days, enjoy our best life now. We just want the next hit of excitement and fun and attention or whatever makes us feel better. Now, I'm no psychologist, obviously, but I think I have a very simple understanding about why so many of us are fixated and rushing forward from one event to the next. It's fear. And most of our fear comes because we don't have control. That scares the tar out of us. And through it all, we cannot bring ourselves to actualize that we're 
a dying people in a dying world. We don't want to confront the reality that the good times won't roll on forever on this side of God's kingdom. Even if God's word tells us that the good times are better than this on the other side. We fear what we're going to have to go through to get there. We've observed what others have experienced in their own journey through life and into death. And even with the promise that our Lord and Savior is waiting for us on the other side, his arms open to graciously and lovingly receive us, we hesitate. We actually run from him. We don't trust it. How crazy is that? Because in that, we're no better than those who have no faith at all. We worry about things like the planet's ecosystem, healthcare system, the global balance of power, economy, terrorism, who controls Congress and the White House and the Supreme Court, and it goes on and on and on. But Jesus told his disciples, and he tells us today, that times in life on this side of God's kingdom are going to be tough and sometimes scary. And yet in our fearfulness and in our desire to control, we would prefer to stave off trusting God's promises. We really wrestle with the idea that nothing happens outside of God's will and purpose. Fearfulness and control are not what God desires for you. Instead, he wants you to have confidence in him, to trust in him. But how can you have such trust? Well, he tells us right here. In the tumult of life, in the anguish and pain, stand up and turn towards it. Instead of averting your eyes and hiding your face, lift your head and your voice. Do not turn away, but gaze upon the perplexing and sometimes frightening sight of your Lord. Your Lord who was turned away at the inn, rejected in his hometown, thrown out of the temple, driven out of the city, dragging a cross to die for you so that he could bring God's kingdom to you. And bring it he has. But how? Go therefore and make nations, make disciples of all nations, teaching and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And again, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive the sin, it is retained. And again, this is my body given for you. Take and drink. This cup is the New Testament in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Friends, God has fulfilled his promise and Jesus Christ has come. And though we wait for that Christmas tide proclamation, the good news is his promise is for you now. God meets you here as he promised and he continues to bring his kingdom to you. Not just near you, but directly to you, in you and through you so that you would know him. Now, whenever we read the scriptures, we hear both God's command and his promises. And it is God's promise that I want to focus on now. When you hear that word promise, I want you to hear it in a new way today. God's promise is a guarantee. God's promise 
is a certainty. And here's why. Because when God makes a promise, it happens. He does not tell you in baptism. We did not just hear him tell little Teddy, you might be claimed. He says you are claimed. You are mine. So when Christ makes a promise, it is certain. So hear God speaking into your life today. His kingdom has come for you now. In the promises of your baptism, the burdens and fears of this world have been minimized. And because you now live in the certainty of God's keeping, God's kingdom is yours today. There is no waiting. Know this with certainty. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Thanks be to God. Amen.